letting me know that my beloved West Coast Eagles got defeated by the Dockers. Are there any Dockers supporters here? Yeah, we will pray for you. <laughs> any West Coast Eagles supporters here? I love you. <laughs> I'm so happy. What was that? Oh, the po- wait a minute. <laughs> How do you guys let a pie me? <laughs> Actually, I've pretty well. I've been really impressed with, um, with um, Nathan Buckley. He's an incredible leader. Cool. Are you guys ready to get into a bit of scripture today? Yeah? Do you love the Bible? Now, does anyone still have like a book? Do you, have you got that? So it doesn't matter if you've got your book. It doesn't matter if you're... Bi- it was funny. Like, Tim came up and he said, I didn't bring my Bible. And then he reads the Bible. It's like... The Bible comes in many formats these days. <laughs> um, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. And um, this message, funnily enough, um, it's not the same kind of message, but I spoke out of this passage in November um, when I came and spoke. I think it was your AGM weekend. And um, I didn't expect to come speak that weekend, but um, this was the message, well, the scripture that God put on my heart. And as it turns out, our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we are at this message, well, this passage of Scripture again. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go through um, with that. Have you been enjoying journeying through Mark's Gospel so far? We're still in chapter 1. There's a lot of good stuff. It kind of picks up pace from now. I'm going to read from verse 21 to verse 28. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum, When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit shouted, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and he came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. What an interesting little passage of scripture. Um, If I didn't know any better, it would be like a little bit intimidating to actually go into a passage of Scripture where Jesus is casting out demons and all sorts of stuff is happening. Um, But this is an important part of um, Jesus' story as we read through the Gospel of Mark. And I would kind of be hoping that by this stage here, I think we're about five weeks in, four or five weeks in. We've been on this journey for about a month. Isn't it incredible? And you guys are still here. Well done. (laughs) Well done to you. Um, but I would be hoping and praying by this stage as we're journeying through the Gospel of Mark um, that all of us would have figured out by now that there is a grand narrative in play right now. If you remember the first two weeks I had this model up, do you remember that model? That was up here, that went from Genesis all the way through Revelation and it actually portrayed God's story as depicted through his relationship with humanity. We call it salvation history. Um, And the whole idea is for us to understand and recognize that this isn't just a story that, oh, you know what, I go um, to kids' church or, you know, at night my mum reads me stories about David and Goliath and things like that. Have you ever noticed how much of the Bible stories are so gory they should probably never be read to kids before they go to bed? But this is actually our story. And um, it is really my 
hope that we would be continually engrafted into God's story, into our story. And um, it's important for us to understand and recognize that we are our story people. I don't know if you've ever met some of the real, um, like in our church we have Africans, we have some Aboriginal people and all that. And, and there are certain cultures that are really entrenched into their story. Because we are story people. And what I've discovered is that if I encounter a person and they've lost a sense of meaning, purpose, they have no significance in their life, a large part of the reason why we found, find ourselves in positions like that is because we have been cut off from our story. And it really is that my hope and prayer is that the purpose of this series will actually help Kalamunda um, to be reacquainted and regrafted into her story as a people of God. Do you know you're the people of God? You were just as much the people of God as King David, as Esther, as Moses, as Abraham. They're up there, they're cheering us on and saying, okay, we've run our race now, here's the badness to you, now you run your race. That's really good to know, isn't it? So this is a story which has its beginning in the book of Genesis. I've got this quote up by an Old Testament professor, and um, I like it. His name is Richard um, Belcher, and um, it's coming up on the screen, you'll see it. But he says, speaking of the book of Genesis... He says, the book of Genesis in summary is showing that Israel's God is a sovereign creator whose purpose to establish his covenant rule will not be hindered by the sinfulness of humanity. Do you like that? Do you like a bit of theology like that? Look at that. Just keep that up for a minute. Showing that Israel's God is a sovereign creator. That's amazing. It's good to know that our God is God. Amen? Isn't that good to know? You know, you can give a bit of feedback. It's okay. We're in church. You know, I prepared to feed you, and the way preachers get fed is by feedback. You know what I'm saying? Israel's got a sovereign creator whose purpose was to establish his covenantal rule. That's incredible. That God's purpose is to actually flood the earth with his presence, but because it's a covenantal rule, it's administrated through his covenantal people. Is anyone his covenantal people here right now? Amen? The people of God, we're in covenant with him. So what this means is that he has determined that his covenantal rule will take over all of the earth. And the way that he's going to do that is by looking at you, looking at me as his covenantal people and say, okay, I'm going to administer my rule in and through your life. That's in the book of Genesis. And I love this. It says that his covenantal rule will not be hindered by the sinfulness of Dave Ryder. Isn't that great to know? Though I can't stuff this up enough for the plans and purposes of my life, or the life of this world, even the life of New Spring or the life of Kalamunda Church to be hindered, God will still have his way. So that's important for us to know, especially if we've done some dumb things lately. Anyone done some dumb things lately? Yeah? A couple of us have done some dumb... The rest of you are so self-righteous, I don't know. Maybe we'll section off the church. But isn't it good to know that God's plans and God's purposes are not determined whether if I stuff it up or if I get it right. Because there are going to be times when I get it right, there's going to be times when I don't get it right, but God is still going to plan and make his way go forward. And the book of Genesis lets us know that he will have his way and it's not dependent on if we get it right or if we get it wrong. He's still going to, get it, he's still going to do it. And he's actually going to use us. I think that's so, so amazing. And this God-given purpose is to partner with God fully, participating in his plan to flood the world with his presence. Just think of that word, to flood. Could you imagine that God comes with his presence and he is literally flooding? Like, look at Kalamunda. flooding Kalamunda. That would be like far out. That would be incredible. So this plan in history actually does recall, if you know your Bible, that there are periods when God is fully going ahead with this plan, but there are times when he does press pause, isn't it? 
He seems to press pause at certain times, and then he seems to press play at certain times as well. In fact, we've learned over the last couple of weeks that as we're entering to the Gospel of Mark, that there's been 400 years where God seemed to have pressed pause on his plan. But then all of a sudden, there's this random guy. We had him out in the foyer last week, John the Baptist, right? He was like, did you see him last week? Yeah, he was out there last week. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he was out. I just said to Blake, I said, it's a good thing that your mum dressed you up as John the Baptist, but it's so good that she didn't go the full way because we all know how it ended for John the Baptist. <laughs> we, do not, we do not approve of that behaviour in church. Um, But after 400 years, this random guy, prophet, after 400 years, comes on the scene. All of Galilee, all of Judea goes out to him. He starts to baptize them. Like It's symbolic of how God's people pass through the Red Sea. And as God's people pass through the Red Sea, they turn around to see their enemies absolutely destroyed and flooded. And John the Baptist is doing that. And all of a sudden, after 400 years of silence, God is on the move again. His plans and his purposes, salvation, history, God has pressed play. And the Gospel of Mark is giving us an account of when God pressed play. And just for your information, God is still pressing play today in 2020. And there ain't no John the Baptist anymore, but he's looking at people of Cullamunda Church saying, I'm going to use you now. I'm going to use your gifting. I'm going to use your grace. And I will see my covenantal rule come and flood this place through my people. That's good preaching. I don't know about you. That's good preaching. <laughs> when I listen to this podcast again, I'm going to sit in my car and say, Dave, man, you good preacher. <laughs> You just wait for Tim, he's coming up. Anyway, let me get on with this. As we've already seen in the story so far, Jesus has one solitary message. It's actually articulated in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is his one message. We need to understand this. His one message is this. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is Jesus' one solitary message. That's it. You know, you didn't have Jesus coming. Okay, I'm going to give like a sermon series on this and a sermon series on that. No, he actually gave one message which actually impacts and shapes every other facet of our life. And that one message was the kingdom of God. And this makes complete sense because the very first line in the Gospel of Mark is, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Or if we're going to put it in Australian language that we would understand, this is the great announcement of Jesus the King. Right? I'm putting all of these links together so we understand the story. The kingdom of God is near. Just think about that. Six words. The kingdom of God is near. Six words. So simple. Six words strung together that literally are the hinge of history. Six words. And what Jesus is saying is that this kingdom, it's close. It's closer than what you think. It's just about to break out. It's just under the skin, ready to get you out. It's that close. And I wonder how many times we as followers of Jesus Christ have really considered the implications or the invitation that those six words afford us. The kingdom of God is near. It's closer than what you think. Closer than what you think. The kingdom of God is quite literally the reign of Jesus. That's what it means. The reign of Jesus. So what would it look like in our situation? What would it look like? What would it look like in your marriage, in this community? What would it look like in our church? You know, we can look at the last couple of months in the life of this church and say, you know what? 
Some things have changed, but if we were to helicopter up to God's view, we would actually see nothing's changed at all. Because the same God is on the throne, the same Jesus, the same rules happening. But what would it look like for Jesus to be king in Kalamunda? What would it look like for Jesus to be king in this world? If Jesus really was king, what would it look like for God's covenantal rule to actually come into this situation right now? That's a really, really good question. The problem is we're not going to be able to accurately answer that question unless we have some kind of idea of what it looks like when God's kingdom actually starts to break into this world. And that is precisely what the gospel writers are trying to show us. You will notice as you read through all the synoptic gospels, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or even John, by the way, and, and you look at that and you see the kingdom of God or the, or, or the kingdom of heaven language, there actually is no like sort of like definition. The kingdom of God, okay, let's go to a dictionary. What's the kingdom? It looks like this. The, the writers don't do that. Instead, what they do is say, they, they just say, the kingdom of God is what Jesus is doing. Now they say, now listen to Jesus and watch Jesus. And as you see what Jesus is doing, that's what it looks like when the kingdom of God starts to break into this world. And the implication of followers of Jesus is that we would do likewise. It affords us an incredible, an incredible opportunity. Could you imagine in your life actually doing the things that Jesus did? Would that be kind of cool? That'd be nuts, right? Like, have you read some of the stuff that he's been doing? That'd be nuts. Well, evidently, from the book of Genesis, God's plan and God's purpose is that you would be invited to do that kind of stuff. Hard to believe, right? It's hard to believe until you start seeing it happening through your life, by the way. And then it gets really, really cool. Anyway. So in Mark's gospel, very early on in the piece, we come to this passage where Jesus, for some reason, walks into a synagogue on Sabbath. And we might not be too familiar with synagogues and Sabbath as followers of Jesus, but um, this is a pretty significant moment. And before we step into the situation, you need to actually take a step back and actually understand what is happening when Jewish people come to a place like the synagogue on Sabbath. Well, what happens is that Jewish people understand that they come to this place and they quite literally, in their posture, but also in their mind and in their heart, they come and they sit under the authority of Torah. Okay, In a very same way that we as followers of Jesus Christ, when we come here, it shouldn't be like, oh, I wonder if Dave's going to preach a good message today. Um, sorry, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that all of us, myself included, we are coming to sit under the authority of Scripture to learn. You know what I'm saying? And that's myself included. But that is what they do. They're coming and they're sitting under the authority of Torah. And it's really important for us to know that there is already an authority that is put in place. There's already an established authority. And for the Jewish people, that authority was Torah. And as was their custom, they came to the synagogue on Sabbath and they sat under the authority of Torah. There was an established authority. And it's important for us to understand that everywhere there are actually established authorities. Some of them you can see, most of them you can't see. Have you ever walked into a place and it's like, whoa, this place is pretty dense. It's pretty dark. It's like, oh my goodness, there's something going on here. I can't see it, but there is some kind of authority in place here and it's like, I either want to get out or I'm going to change that sucker. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's the kind of things. 
You go into a place. You can come into a family. You can come into a church. You can go into a region. My good friend who's actually the area chaplain for youth care in this region here, he will often come down the hill to Armadale. And what he experiences down in Armadale is very different to what he experiences here because there is actually a different authority which has been established in the city of Armadale, which is why God positions churches in places like Armadale so when there are dark places, the church is supposed to be light and we kick the darkness out. That's what we do as the church. But authority is something that's very, very important to Jesus. And therefore, it's a very, very important issue for followers of Jesus. And I actually want to make a point of this idea of authority because we are in a current cultural climate that actually views authority very differently to the way that Jesus views authority. Because from his own lips, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. In other words, I'm the king which actually presupposes an ultimate authority which lies with Jesus. But we're in a current culture which is unashamedly proclaiming and preaching from every possible um, soapbox they can get onto the idea that ultimate freedom and self-autonomy is the thing that we should be reaching for. Are you part of the same world that I am? Yeah? You just go to university and you'll see that there is a, an effort to actually deconstruct everything. And then after everything has been deconstructed, it's almost like you've got this big Lego thing. You deconstruct everything. And then you put everything back together in a way that actually promotes self as the ultimate autonomy, the ultimate authority in life. And there's this idea that this is the way that you will become truly human. And what's happening right now, because we're some way into this little experiment that, that secularism has actually brought us into, it's really important for us to understand, but we even have secular commentators now who are actually saying, okay, you know this thought, this philosophy, this is starting to fail. And this is people who aren't from the church, people who aren't Christians, actually making this thing, you know what, you promise that this will actually take us to here, that this will actually bring self-fulfillment, that this will actually bring happiness, that this will bring joy, that this will bring equality. And we're going down this path in some ways, and we still see people who are just not flourishing and people who are being damaged. It's not working. It's not working. And unfortunately, what I've seen, and I'm not only in New Spring and Kalamunda, I'm quite privileged in that I've actually got the opportunity to serve on a kind of a state level. What I see is that there are times when this ideology that is in the secular culture starts to creep into the church. It starts to creep into my heart as well, by the way. And the whole idea of what is my relationship to authority? And I know even for myself, like at New Spring, it's very different here. You know, it's very, very clear here. You know, I'm here to actually serve the eldership. And what the eldership see, I'm actually going to, okay, well, I'm going to outwork that. All right? That's actually what I'm going to do. Did you know that? (laughs) So I'm backing your eldership. All right? Just so you know. And it's actually going to be a beautiful thing. But there are times, like, I have to keep that in mind in New Spring, because there's a different kind of relationship. They're really looking to me for leadership. They're really, like, that, that's from, from all of that. And, and there are certain times where I need the Holy Spirit to actually prick me in the heart and actually remind me and to actually ask me the question, okay, Dave, you can come to church. You could be a senior pastor. You can lift up your hands. You can crack open the Bible. You can come here. But what is your relationship between authority and yourself? I have to ask myself that all the time. If I am to be a Christian leader in this state of WA, I need to constantly be asking my own heart, what is the relationship, Dave Ryder, what is your relationship between authority and yourself? And that really hits us hard. 
Is that hitting anyone hard today? No. Not Tim. <laughs> it is a vital, vital issue, and we're going to see in a, in, a, in a moment why it is. And it's really important for us to understand that in a culture that is really promoting a kind of living, which is about deconstructing everything and then constructing everything so that I am the ultimate authority, that Jesus doesn't roll like that. Unapologetically. Jesus is not like, like sort of like going on an election campaign and saying, vote for me to be king. He's actually saying, I am king. And that's really important for us to understand, um, lest we actually get caught in a trap of this world. The issue of authority goes hand in glove with Jesus. As you read through all the Gospels, as you read through the New Testament, you will see that Jesus is pretty confident and content in actually being God of this world and king of this world, and he's not actually up for um, the job. He actually is the one who is. So notice, even in this passage of Scripture, notice the authority that keeps on coming up. The idea of authority keeps on coming up. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. Unlike the teachers of religious law. Verse 27 says this, Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. He has such authority. Have you ever met someone and like they don't even have to say anything, they don't even need a badge, but the way that they speak, the way that they act, the things that follow them, there's like, whoa, there is like some kind of authority on this person and it's absolutely undeniable. Have you ever met someone like that? Yeah? It always amazes me, like at New Spring, not here, but at New Spring. Like, people come up to me and they come from other churches and say, oh yeah, I'm a leader, I used to do this, I used to do that. And like in my mind I'm thinking, that's cool, but as soon as you walk into the room, I'll actually know if you're a leader or not. Because lead, they, they have an authority, you know what I'm saying? They do. But this is a big thing for Jesus. And as we're reading this story from the other side of the cross, we need to understand that there is this huge established authority that is already in play. So as these people are sitting under this established authority, it is absolutely obvious that there is now a higher authority that has simply walked into the room. It's an ordinary day. Sabbaths come around as often as Sundays. You know what I'm saying? Sundays. They come around very, very often. Very regularly. And as soon as Jesus literally walks into the room, things start to move, things start to shake, and a kingdom starts to break in. From verse 23, we read on, it says, Suddenly a man in a synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. But Jesus cut him short, be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into convulsion, and he came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly, he has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. So you need to try and picture this. There is a man who is in this community. Jewish community is really knit together. You know, a bit like Anglo-Indians. I'm part of an Anglo-Indian family, right? Anglo-Indians, everyone knows everyone else's business. You know what I'm saying? Everyone knows everyone else's business. <laughs> so, so this man is part of this community. He comes to the synagogue regularly. He sits under the authority of Torah regularly. He comes, he goes, he eats, he sleeps. And the problem is no one knows anything different. He just looks like any other person, but unknown to everyone else, this guy 
is being tormented and harassed by not just one, but many evil spirits. And no one knows anything of it. Until a higher authority steps into the room. And another kingdom starts to break in. Which means that there's a previous kingdom that's starting to dissolve. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who's possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus? Could you imagine someone started shouting right now? Dave, why are you interfering with us? Other renderings say, what business do you have with us or why are you bothering us? And we need to understand why this is bothering Jesus, all right? Why Jesus is interfering with this setup, which has obviously been going on for a very, very long time. You need to understand what's going on here. Jesus has a really big issue when people who are made in the image of God are being terrorized, are being tormented, are being defaced. He has a really big issue when things happen to those who are made in his image. He has a really big issue with that. There is something about people where he absolutely loves and he absolutely adores. Later on in the the Gospel of Mark, he is very, very blunt about leadership. And he says, if you have any influence in your life, if you have any leadership in your life, it makes a big difference how you're going to treat the little ones. Because in our current world, in our current age, we all want to be great ones. And we disregard little ones. But Jesus is actually saying, as we read through the Gospel of Mark, if you're going to be a Christian leader, a leader in his kingdom, it makes a, he takes it very, very personally the way that we treat little ones, vulnerable ones, vulnerable ones. You know, I was talking to someone this morning who, who leads a business here, and he was saying, like, in his business, he employs someone who's a vulnerable one. And I'm like, wow, that is so gospel. That is so gospel. You have no idea how gospel that actually is, to actually do that. That's the reason. That's the reason why. And by his very presence, these evil spirits, they're agitated. Their kingdom is dissolving as the king's authority takes its rightful place. That's important for us to understand. It's important for me to know. There are certain times I've stepped into places and there's been little agitations and there's been little awkward moments. And it's been really important for me to know that that's cool. That's just the reign of Jesus starting to break into a place. Amen? Have you ever had that? It's important for us to understand that. There are places, Kalamunda, there are places that are desperate for God's reign to literally break in. And for a large part, all it's going to take is you standing there. But authority is a big issue, and we're going to speak about that. Matthew 28, we understand this scripture, we've heard it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now remember in November, I started unpacking that a little bit. I want to go a little bit further here. I want to say a couple of things about authority. From this verse, Jesus says that all authority, he has all authority. Now, if Jesus has all authority, that simply means that someone has no authority, doesn't it? Now, the problem I find is that there are all these established authorities all over the world right now, 
and all over this place. I mean, you might find them in your workplace, in a school setting. You might find them in your home, right? You could find all these kind of authorities are happening. And they tried to actually put on the face like they do have authority. Yet Jesus says he's the one who has all authority. So if Jesus has all authority, they actually have no authority, but they're trying to trick us. Okay? He says he has all authority. And then after he says he has all authority, he says something really, really interesting. And again, like we're part of the Christian world and we just like regurgitate this scripture like nothing else. But he says he has all authority and then he says, therefore, go. That's really interesting. So in order for me to go in the authority of Jesus, that means I need to acknowledge and submit to Jesus' authority. Now, that flies in the face of what I said, a Western secular progressive culture that elevates self-autonomy over other autonomy. Do you see that? So if you are a young adult, as these guys are right now, you need to understand that this is like fish in water. You need to understand this. That we are in a cultural state right now where there is like, it is effortless, it is like natural, it's like a fish swimming in water, this idea of ultimate freedom, self-autonomy. Yet Jesus would say, if you want to walk in my authority and I have all authority, you need to recognize, you need to acknowledge that I am king and actually submit to that. If you want to walk in his authority. But if you don't, that's your call. I'm certainly not going to force it upon you. And neither does Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. Understanding that from his own lips, Jesus said, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I don't know if you've ever considered that word repent. I think that over the years, our Christian tradition has made this amazing positive word, this really negative word. Now, when I say repent to you, does that sound like positive or negative? Sounds negative, right? Do you know repent literally means to change the way you think about absolutely everything? Yet we will throw up signs and say, repent. And we, we have built up this word to be so negative. But the idea is that there is actually a literal kingdom of God which is breaking into this world right now. And we as God's covenantal people, we are invited to partner with God in flooding the earth with his presence, with his kingdom. And the way that we're actually going to partner and actually be involved in this kind of paradigm is to rethink absolutely everything about this world, rethink everything about our life. In other words, to repent. Repentance is a doorway by which we enter into this paradigm. You guys are very quiet, but this is really good teaching. The devil has actually used that word repent to become such a negative thing. But when Jesus actually is articulating, the kingdom of God is like here, so close. Rethink your entire life now and actually be part of this. This is an incredible invitation. Okay? Rethink everything. Now, why should I rethink everything? Well, there's this interesting line that Jesus slips into a conflict that he's having later on in the story. It's found in Mark chapter 3, and I want to actually just show us it so we can understand our role in this world today. It's a line that emphasizes our absolute need and the invitation that God grants us to actually walk in his authority and to submit to him as king over our life and what that means. 
And the story is found in Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 20 to 30. I think it will be up on the screen, but just listen to what's happening. And understand, this is one of those moments in the Gospel of Mark, in the life of Jesus, where it is everyone is on the scene. This is one of the most like, confrontational moments of conflict in Jesus' life. And we read from verse 20, it says, One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Imagine that. Like they're just so bombarded with people because people are seeing him heal. People are seeing him deliver. He's just going nuts and everyone has come. He's just so surrounded. When his family, this is his family, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Could you imagine so much stuff is happening around you that like, Tim's family comes and says, this guy, he's out of his mind. There is so much activity. There's so much confusion. There's so much crowd. Tim must be out of his mind. What's going on here? This is what's happening. But the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem, now get this, he's at home and these people have made this huge track all the way from Jerusalem because news of what Jesus is doing is carried all the way to Jerusalem. So the leaders of Jerusalem make the trip all the way to come and see Jesus. This is a big thing that is happening, all right? This is a big Big setup. The teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. So Jesus, being Jesus, called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan? He asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Verse 27, let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, who, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. This is going to get good, by the way. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes um, the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they were saying he possessed an evil spirit. So in this scenario, everyone, absolutely everyone, is acknowledging there is incredible authority that Jesus is operating in. And Jesus, from his own lips, he's giving illustrations to let everyone know, this is why I have this authority, and this is why this is happening. He says that I have bound the strong man. Now, where did Jesus bound the strong man? Well, there is only one time in the Gospels where there is a direct confrontation between Jesus and Satan that is in the wilderness, okay? It's in the wilderness, right? That's the one time. Now, Mark doesn't do it, but Matthew and Luke, they actually go to extraordinary lengths to actually tell us what actually happens. And as we read through those other um, renderings of what happened, we actually see that the actual foundation of spiritual authority comes from godly character. You find in those temptations in the wilderness that Jesus does not bow his knee. And because he does not bow his knee, he binds Satan and he's now walking in this amazing spiritual authority. If you are a young leader and if you want to walk in spiritual authority, do not bow your knee. Stand in godly character and you will walk in spiritual authority. Right? Character is the key. And because, and you've got to understand this, Jesus is saying, because I have bound Satan in his house, what you are now seeing, I am plundering Satan's house. Imagine that. 
Satan running around like he's ruling the world. Jesus ties him up and he's doing all these things. And he's saying, what you're watching right now, I'm plundering. That just gets me excited. In a world where the church seems to be so intimidated by all these things, Jesus, this happened over 2,000 years ago. The boy is still bound. Not only bound, he's defeated. You can't undo the resurrection. And because he is bound and he is defeated, Jesus is plundering the house of Satan. And how does that impact the way that you and I live our life here today in 2020? Authority is a big issue for Jesus. And it's a great invitation for us. What does this tell us? Well, Jesus has authority. He's king. So if I acknowledge that, and if I submit to his ordering of things, if I submit to his ordering of things in my life, if I submit to his ordering of things in my family, you know what, even if I submit to his ordering of things in my church, all right, if I submit to his authority and to his orderings, and then because I'm submitting to his authority, he says, go. Well, my question to Jesus is, if you say all authority has been given to you and then you look to me and say, therefore, go, where am I supposed to go? Well, Mark 3.27 tells us how we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do. He says, who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, Jesus. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. When Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he looks at a church like New Spring and he looks at a church like Kalamunda Church up in the hills where there is so much spiritual activity and he places you out of every generation, positions you up on this hill where there is so much dynamic spiritual authority and he looks at you and he says, therefore, go. He is actually saying absolutely explicitly, he's actually saying to you, go and plunder the house of Satan in my authority. That's good. Put away any petty, small-minded agendas and go and have some fun. <laughs> Up at New Spring, and I know I've only been here about a month, so maybe we'll have a bit of fun next couple of months. But we, we heard last year, and um, there was something, we, we heard that... Um, um, We've even had like some white witches of like, if I'm freaking anyone out just talking about witches and stuff, I'm sorry, but this is the reality, right? You guys should know you're in Kalamunda. <laughs> but um, we've had all this stuff come in and we got wind that, um, that at midnight in Memorial Park, there's these witches and warlocks, they go and they do their stuff. So one of the guys in our church thought, you know, what would be awesome like, if we go to Memorial Park and if we have a prayer meeting and if we worship tell you what we had about like 40 to 50 of our church go in like my goodness the presence of God just went bang hit the place we are currently entering into our third year of serving into one of the most dysfunctional hard dark primary schools in the city of Armadale the kingdom's breaking in 
In fact, next week we have the principal of that primary school coming and doing an interview and letting our church know about what the good things that are actually happening just by our pre- we're not do- just by our mere presence. The kingdom of God is that's fun stuff. That's exciting kind of stuff. I get excited like with our Christmas stuff. I say to our church, people are doing it hard at Christmas, but guess what? They do not know the name New Spring at Christmas, but they do know the name Salvation Army. So our church, for a couple of years, when it comes to Christmas, we raise money, we give to the Salvos, we buy gifts, give to the Salvos. Our church is more generous to the Salvation Army than they are to New Spring Church. For me, that's fun. The kingdom of God breaking in, breaking forth. We're a church and we don't like necessarily run and all that, but we brought street chaplaincy into the city of Armadale where every single week we have people from all churches coming and you see them, they've got their purple shirts on and they're out there looking after people in the city of Armadale. This is fun stuff. This is how we plunder the house of Satan. Where there is dark places, where there are intimidating places, where there are places where there is a dehumanization of people, which is happening. We roll up our sleeves and we say, you know what? Some people may think that's a no-go zone. For us, that devil, you just put a target on your back. And that is where we are going. And by our mere presence, because we understand authority and we come under the lordship of Christ and we come under the ordering of Jesus Christ. And because we stand in that authority, because he said, go, we are plundering the house of Satan. And I've got to be honest with you. It's fun. I'm reminded of Francis Xavier, missionary to India and Philippines. This favorite quote of his. He says, Tell the students to give up their small ambitions and to come eastward and preach the gospel of Christ. Give up your small ambitions. Give it up. Preach the gospel. Break the kingdom in. And I've got to be absolutely honest with you. As far as I... My posture, and as far as New Spring is concerned, we're not here to buy time with you beautiful people like in Kalamunda. We're actually here to have some fun with you. That's what we're wanting to do. I know I'm here to do a bit of plundering. There are some certain things around this region, and it's almost like it's, it's time for the church to actually give it its notice and say, you know what? You've had rain, you've had rule for so long, but now we're going to step up. And the kingdom of God will quite literally start to break into this place because of our mere presence. You read through the Gospel of Mark, authority is one of the big, big themes. And if Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you into this world, that would mean that we, as his covenantal people, as his sons and daughters. We are to be the ones who administrate his kingdom rule and his kingdom reign in this earth, in Kalamunda, in Les Moody, in the surrounding areas. This affords us an incredible opportunity to partner with God as he is literally flooding this earth with his presence and with his kingdom reign. Do you reckon you could do that? I reckon you can have a crack and you'll be amazed at what happens. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for this great announcement of Jesus the King. I thank you so much that a strong man has been bound for over 2,000 years. For over 2,000 years. Still trying to strut around. 
I pray that we would have ears to hear, we would have hearts to comprehend, that we would have eyes to see. That you've placed us in this place not to be intimidated, to be a a feisty church who declare that you are our king and we walk in your authority, Lord. Father, I pray for your strengthening to come upon this church. I pray for your confidence to come upon this church. I pray that we would have eyes to see the opportunities that lay before us. And as we stand into these places, that we will see your kingdom breaking in and breaking forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.